Hi everyone, this is Amy. Um, I just wanted to do a little intro to the following message. Uh, Dean and I recently heard a message on the subject of holiness that um, we really got a lot out of and we wanted to share that with the rest of you. It's one of the best messages that we've heard on the subject in a really long time. Um, so we're excited to be able to share it with you today. Um, the message is being preached by Jeremy Adams. Jeremy Adams is the founder of Denton Freedom House in Denton, Texas. Denton Freedom House is a ministry that is devoted to helping men uh, come off the streets. It gives them, uh, basically it gives them a home to live in for a season, uh, free of charge for them. Um, they raise their support in other ways so that they can offer this home free of charge. Um, it's a place for them to re rehabilitate. Um, many of these men are coming out of prison or off the streets. Some of them have been in abusive situations, um, just from a lot of different backgrounds, um, usually in and they're usually in situations where there is no other hope for them but Jesus and for someone to love them like Jesus. So Denton Freedom House does a really good job of that, of loving them like Christ. And so they offer them this place. Um, they do they give them extensive discipleship training. Um, they give them um, job training, um, just training in how to be um, a good father, a good friend, a good citizen, um, teaching them how to serve. It's just a really great ministry. And so um, we encourage you, if you want to know more about the ministry, um, you can find out quite a bit more information um, on their website, which is DentonFreedomHouse.org. DentonFreedomHouse.org. We encourage you to go there um, to learn more about the ministry because it's a, just a genuine ministry that's doing some really good things. There are ways that you can serve, that you can volunteer, or maybe you might want to donate. Um, they have a, a lot of uh, areas where you might could be a part of that ministry. So um, give them a shout. Uh, also, uh, Jeremy Adams has um, does a lot of mission work with his family. Um, their missionary organization is called Taking the Gates. You can find them at takingthegates.org. Uh, you can learn more about their mission endeavors. Um, just knowing uh, Jeremy and Karen personally, uh, knowing more about their family, and I can, we can tell you that we personally feel confident that if you share funds or support to them in any way, that the money that you give or donate for their ministry is actually going to go towards the things that they tell you it's going to go towards. So um, I think you would feel very confident in uh, giving. They also do a lot of mission work where a lot of missionaries won't even dare to go, and so it's nice to see somebody out there just really going into some very hard places that really need to hear about the love of Christ. So um, just wanted to give you a little bit of information about him personally and to let you know that we, we know him and um, we trust him. And um, here is a message by Jeremy Adams on holiness. Um, it's going to be uh, a little difficult to hear, so you're gonna have to turn up the volume on your radio. Um, I had to do a recording of a recording, and I apologize for that, but there was no other option. So um, it is, you can hear it, you can understand it, you're just going to have to turn your volume up as soon as I stop talking. So apologize that we couldn't get it any clearer than this, we did our best. But um, it'll be well worth your time. It, it's a short message, but a powerful one. Um, so enjoy. Carriers of the Presence. And the whole idea was basically taken from the story, you know, the story of David and the tabernacle and, and them bringing the ark back into the city of David and the restoration of its proper place for the tabernacle. 
eventually will be the temple in Israel. The idea that you and I are like David, are carriers of the presence. It's not just an Old Testament concept. I mean, this is actually addressed in Acts chapter, I think it was 15. It was where the apostles declared that prophetically the church and what's taking place in the mystery of Christ is a fulfillment, really, of the topology of David and the tabernacle and that God himself was restoring in the church the tabernacle of David. And so that you and I as recipients of the gospel of Jesus Christ, baptized, filled with the Holy Spirit of God, you, you and I ourselves carry the presence of God with us. It's part of who we are. It's part of our identity. Which, which has a whole lot of depth and implication to it as to how we govern ourselves, how we carry ourselves, our ambitions, our values, our ethics, the purpose and trajectory of our life, all of these things. You know, as I, as I realize who I am as a carrier of God's presence. You know, we opened this conference up to several different churches in town. In fact, I wanted, we brought in some leaders from different, different churches, some well-known churches in town, some charismatic, some non-charismatic. It's not important as if, yeah, uh, we're all in rank. In order, with one king, Jesus, no earthly king. I'm not into the sectarian so we invited some others to come and to participate in this. But there was one gentleman from a large church in town that is going to remain nameless. And this gentleman's name will remain nameless. But I'd asked him to do a particular session because I heard that he had a particular gifting in this area. And so I asked him to teach this session on it. It was, the, it was about consecration. You know what consecration is? The idea that that term is kind of a $5 spiritual term, but the idea of, of sanctifying ourselves and becoming holy, more like Him. Uh, the idea of repentance and brokenness and contrition, those kinds of things that leads us into uh, the power of God and the power of God in operation through our lives. And I use that term in the session, and he, you know, he came to me and he says, I'm I'm a little bit nervous, he said, about this because of the ranks that he came from. He said, that term really to us and to many within our persuasion, he says, it, 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 it harkens back to the Old Testament. And it, it's, it's, it just rings of a, of, the, of a sense of Old Testament, maybe law, maybe a legalism type of thing. And I was so shocked when I heard him say that. It, it literally floored me. It, it literally, I stood there dumbfounded that anyone would have even for a moment, especially a minister of the gospel, and especially someone who is leading worship in a large church in town would have any problem with the concept of consecration and suggest at all that it would mark them any kind of reason and that, that just it literally blew me away. I felt blindsided by the, by the comment. I did not know how to take it for a minute. I was just reading from it because I'm immediately going do you read your Bible? Consecration in Old Testament concept? Do you read your Bible? But you know, that was revelatory to me. Because it, it betrays in me again a place that we have arrived to in the larger body of Christ and in the church. 
There, there is a shift probably two or three decades ago, maybe even a little bit before, where there is, especially in the Western Church in the United States, where there is this reaction and this shift of the, the swing of the pendulum of those that were reacting to a sort of dead formalism that had pervaded the church. You know, maybe you're of that generation, I looked at even the generation before that, that viewed church and religious and spiritual things as boxes to be checked off of. You know, you go to church on Wednesday night, Sunday morning, if you're really holy, you go Sunday night kind of thing. You know, you, you got the, the presides and the, the three pieces at Easter, that, that whole religious kind of thing. And, and then there was a generation that arose in the church that I wouldn't say rebelled against that, but responded properly to it spiritually, thanks be to God for more. There was this shift in the church, and the church became more about, less concerned about formalism, less concerned about liturgy, less concerned about strict uh, order of service, those kinds of things, less concerned with the external and what we look like, and more concerned about a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And that 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 shift in the church beginning two or three decades ago was a, a breath of fresh air, quite frankly, in the church. And it was a return, really, to that old, you know, go back to even the early days, you know, Keith Green and, and uh, who's another, uh, Rich, Rich Mullins and the, just kind of the return of the ragamuffin gospel. You know, and, and the, the church is for the common man and for the, and so there was that shift that took place in the church and it was a breath of fresh air. Really, it was. It still is. I'm all about it. I'm not a very formal guy anymore in that respect. I wear plain clothes. I try to be modest. Not unless I have something to say about that modesty in what you wear, why you wear it, what you're wearing. But I'm just not a formal guy. For, by the way, that doesn't make that, that's not a dogma. Because there may be a formal guy who dresses a little nicer than me, who may be just as holy or maybe even more It's not what I'm saying. In fact, for me, I mean, it's part of the one reason I have this big old ugly beard. So he thinks he's not pretty, I am. I don't want you to be distracted by the perfect. I'm kidding, you understand? Let's see, with the, with the swing of the pendulum. over time has crept in the same kind of informality, the same uh, levity as it concerns things that really do matter, things that really are sacred, things that really are holy. So there is a certain amount of irreverence that has crept into the relevant church. Are you, you following what I'm saying? There is an irreverence that is a particularly often time. It just is. Alright? 
And so we get loose in things that really do matter to God. I mean, they, they could be things, even if it concerns dress or, or anything like immodesty. Immodesty in worship, immodesty in speech, immodesty in dress, those kinds of things. Uh, and much more, we'll get into that in a little bit. <clears throat> in the overreach, there is what I would call, there has been produced this irreverent attitude in the church that produces a kind of sloppy, agape. Of a certain amount of licentiousness, a loosey-goosey approach to doctrine, to theology, to, to our practices, the way that we handle ourselves and conduct ourselves, relate with people, the language that we use, all of those kinds of things. A licentiousness in the church that uh, uses really grace as a license to sin. Grace to engage in behaviors and attitudes of the church that may not necessarily in and of themselves be unlawful, but, are, but that are not beneficial uh, to the body of Christ. And we use that oftentimes to, we, we use the grace part to sanction unedified, profane, unholy, irreverent attitudes and behavior, the overreach has produced many times a shallow and self-centered consumeristic culture. And I'm going to tell you what's going to happen as we continue down these lines over the next decades. Here's what's going to happen. You're going to see another major revolt in the church because the church is going to get fed up with it, uh, approaching God irreverently and things that are holy irreverently. And it's going to swing the opposite direction. Back into form, and that's the, the, the that's the uh, really the story of history. But we don't want to be like that. We want to we want to be right on that phone line. We want to hit that spirit and that truth, right? And with that comes a proper understanding of holy, what it means to be holy, and what it means. To walk in holiness. Do you know who we are? The word of God says that you and I are a chosen generation. We are a royal priesthood. We are a familiar people. We are a holy, a holy nation. We're a holy nation. We are called to be a holy we are to walk in holiness. It's not an option. It's a command. By the way, I would suggest it's the way. It is the way. It's a way of holiness. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And what we're going to see here in a second is it is a way of holiness. If you ain't holy, you ain't Jesus. If you ain't holy, you ain't a part of Jesus. You're not a part of His church because His church is a holy church. It is a chosen church. It is a royal church. It is a peculiar church. It doesn't go with the crowd. It stands out against the crowd. It doesn't play along to get along. It stands out 
idea concept that's kind of a redneck summation of rules, some of which I may or may not agree with, but that really, in that moment, only have half of the story. Because holiness isn't just about what I am separated from, i.e. drinking, alcohol, tobacco. It's not only about those things, though it could include those things, but it might not also. I mean, they said of John the Baptist that he came not eating and drinking, and they condemned him as having a demon. Well, Jesus came eating and drinking, and they accused him of being a glutton and a wine giver and hanging with sinners. So to the profane and unholy person, it don't matter what you do, they're going to drop and complain about it. And ultimately, you can be holy if you drink, and you can be holy if you don't. But neither of them takes away from what John did nor what Jesus did. It's all about the mind of Christ. It's all about the heart. It's about why you're doing what you are doing. Thinking through things. Knowing who you are in the body of Christ. Knowing what God has called you to. Me and my wife were in the grand pudding it. God forgive me, no matter, I, I found out after the fact as I was dining in this restaurant that the name down off of uh, the square is Hoochies. And I didn't, it just said, the big letters on the sign says, Casual Seafood Dining. And so we went in and ordered, and we ended up ordered, and it is good food. I don't know, I've been food, I've listened to it. So I'm eating in there, and the light turns and she said, you're going to go to Without it, no one will see God. 
don't be a Christian there's no other way <laughs> some think that holiness is monastic which you know what I mean basically you're going to go live as a hermit out in the desert or in the wilderness or in some convict commune somewhere and never come out of your cave it's a misconception <clears throat> that is a now I, I promise you there's probably few in this room that like the cave more than me there's a few there's not many who like the cave as much as I do there's not many who like the mountain as much as I do but you see again that's only half the story Jesus took them up on the mountain more than once, multiple times, to the mountain. In fact, he revealed himself to them on the mountain. And of course, what is it in the nature of man? What did Peter immediately want to do? He wanted to stay and he wanted to build a tent, a tabernacle for, for not only Jesus, but Moses, Moses and Elijah. Who had appeared in front of him to build a tabernacle. Here's Peter again. In all of his zeal, in all of his passion, honest, sincere passion and zeal for the Lord, he wants to, and he's not thinking about himself. He's a good man. He's a holy man. He's a righteous man. He could care less about himself. And we're up on a mountain, yet he doesn't want to build a tent or a tabernacle for himself. He wants to build it for his king. He wants to build it Savior, the Messiah, the anointed one of Israel. That's what he wants to do. So he said, Jesus, can I build you? But again, he didn't understand it, did he? And by the way, God's ways are not our ways. I don't care how far along you are in Jesus, we're all no better than Peter. I don't know hardly anything about the holiness of God. I learned hard. And if I think that I've got it figured out now that I know where to go with it and what to do, and I'm going to build it. Jesus, you know what he did to answer Peter's questions of work? Have Immediately. But there was something that happened before. His angel heaven interrupted him as he was speaking, and out of his humanness and his realness of voice came from heaven and said, Again, for the second time, now, this is my beloved son. And then. As the voice concluded, in whom I am well pleased, what happened? Except that Elijah and Moses were suddenly gone. And the circumstances themselves answered Peter's question. Can I build you a tent? What was the response from heaven? No. See, this Peter still didn't understand. But all that was remaining in that moment was the focus of the whole thing. Who was standing before him? Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Jesus. Why were Moses and Elijah there? Because Jesus said about himself. He says these words in Luke 24. He says all of the Old Testament, the scriptures, the law, and the prophets, they speak of me. The word is confirmed by two or three witnesses. Why was Moses? Because they were the law and the prophets. And as soon as that revelation was understood, the Holy One of Israel coming to clear the 
ain't staying in the monastery. We ain't staying in the convent. Holiness, here's the thing about holiness. Holiness will draw you out of the city. It will take you up to the mountain. And it will lead you back down. You see, and that's the interesting thing about holiness. Because I came out of the culture. And I'm learning this the longer that I'm saved. There were things that I had to disassociate myself from early on in my walk. Because there were things that I engaged in that made me external things. But for me, had unholy or profane motivations tied to them. There was another guy that may not have been through the experience that I have who does the exact same thing, but does it from a position of faith and conviction. And his heart ain't corrupt like mine was. You understand? we got to be careful about judging the outside. So I don't know if you can... I mean, I found myself with eating pizza Marcos yesterday with, uh, with Scott. And I'm sitting there and... Led Zeppelin comes on and it's playing. And I'm like, man, heathen are good. <laughs> I mean, their voices and those melodies. I mean, still, in the 60s, and I mean, it is as fresh, melodically, lyrically, vocally. And I'm just like, I should not like them. <laughs> Advancing your life and 
all of those kinds of messages, it's glorified self-help, is what it is. Uh, we don't like to hear, turn your joy into gloom and your laughter into mourning. We don't like to hear that, even though that's New Testament, baby. That's Jesus, and that's James, and many other witnesses. And sometimes it is gloomy for a minute. Because the holiness of God, I'm telling you, when it, when it appears. When it appears. Pruning isn't always easy. Death itself isn't always fun and happy. But it's not the full story. Because the event of joy comes in the morning. Some view this as an Old Testament phenomenon. Which ignores, in fact, the plain witness of the New Testament. We haven't come to a mountain. Hebrews says, a bloom and a tempest and a storm, but we have come to the mountain of the living God. And if God did not spare those formally in the formal covenant, how much less will he spare those who neglect so great a salvation? We have come to the mountain of the living God. And it's a holy mountain. It's a holy mountain. I mean, how else do you explain things in the New Testament where, I don't know if this could happen or not, I'm not, this is no tactic. But you know, we've been practicing Acts 2 kind of worship. Y'all remember Ananias and Sapphira? You know, everybody's bringing everything, laying it into the cross's feet, getting all of that. There was such a manifestation of the holiness and power of God those days, it's like when the glory of God is revealed, when His power, His glory, His impeccable character is manifest in that degree, all of a sudden the stakes of my mistakes, the stakes of my unrighteousness, the stakes of my profanity, the stakes of the deceitfulness that is in my heart becomes much, much greater. And so you withhold. You lie to men, you lie to the Holy Spirit. The ground may well have just opened up underneath them and swallowed them. Tell me the new covenant of God is in the Holy God. Tell that to him now That's what we're asking for. Alright, so we can explain. Come out of her, my people, because the poor of Babylon. How else do you explain the boldness of the judgment of God? How else do you explain the warnings? Our God is a consuming fire. Holiness leads us in, it leads us out. It takes us from the mountain to the valley. Desert to the raging sea. From the silence to the city streets. 
but his presence always covers me. That's always to be separate. Old Testament, Kadash, New Testament, Hagias, Hope, Hope. There is no other attribute of God that is more pervasive than God's holiness. It is the only attribute that is used in His name and is an object of reference. Thrice in two different places in the Bible. Hope, hope, hope. In my opinion, all of the attributes, it doesn't diminish any of them, but they all find their root. They all find their faculty in the attribute of God's holiness. It is His utter transcendence. Intermixed with His power and His wisdom and His knowledge, the glory of the incorruptible God, the unapproachable light that when revealed and when made known to men. You see, all of a sudden, all of the definitions... All of the arguments and the debates over theology and what holiness is and what it means to me are about anthropology and who is man and what is his nature. All of those things. There's something about the holiness of God that silences the mouths of men and silences the arguments and the debates. Something about it. The greatest need that you and I have as a church Is a, a true understanding of who God is. Of who God is, really. I mean, really, who He is. That is the greatest need that we have. We need to know Him as love? Yes. We need to know Him as Abba? Yes. Guess what else? We need to know Him. You know what Jesus' favorite title for His daddy was? It's called it's Floyd. And this gets into that superficial. Uh, relevant message. You know what it was? Holy and righteous Father. That's what Jesus called his heavenly daddy. We need to know him all the way. We need to know him in that, that tenderness of Abba. We need to know in that place of love that Alton is so beautifully done over the last weeks casts out all fear. And we also need to know him as the holy and righteous Father. That's how Jesus addressed that. I don't know anyone who's closer to him, and he still calls him. Whatever, but as he is, as he is, as God is, 
thank God for this church that you would in today and the days and the weeks to come, that you will reveal yourself to us as you are, not as we would fashion you after our own image, not as we have been taught in our experience or tradition, not in our sacred denomination, not in our school, not in our, our gift, our office, none of that, God, but that you would reveal yourself to us as you are.
we looked at that passage. But we had spent more time in the, in the passage of the Transfiguration where Jesus took them up. By the way, he took Peter, John, and James. You see, he reveals himself to his children. Same for everybody. He's hidden from the wise. But he reveals himself to his children. And he revealed most of his life spent in condescension on the earth. But a few moments of the revelation of his glory. What did they do? They did the only thing that you do when that happens. They fell on their faces. Where we can see holiness. And I'm going to sweep over right now. The book of Hebrews up to the 12th chapter. This is not what Which if you don't know this about the book of Hebrews, you need you need, you need to become Hebrews. It is a book. Andrew Murray called it. He titled the book about his on his devotional commentary of Hebrews. He called it the holiest of all. If there is a theme that progresses throughout the book of Hebrews, it's in God's holiness. It's his holiness. And who is the holiest of all? Jesus. He was superior to angels. God said in Hebrews, you are my son, and today I have begotten you. So let the angels worship him. Your throne, O oh God, is forever, and the scepter of your uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. Therefore, I warn you to pay closer attention, for how will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? For he who sanctifies Jesus and those who are sanctified all have one source, and it is the holiness of God. Christ is superior to Moses, to those who share in a heavenly calling. That's you and that's me. We need to consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. Because as the builder of the house, he has more glory than the house itself. And he is faithful over the house as a son. As a son, which is different than Moses. Therefore be warned. Again, do not harden your hearts and unbelief as in the rebellion. But strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall short. Because no creature is hidden from this side. All the holiest of men are naked and exposed to the eyes of the one in whom they must give an account. Buddha, sinner. Mohammed, sinner. Krishna, sinner. Pope John Paul, all of them, sinners. Mother Teresa, sinner. Billy Graham, sinner. Jeremy Adams, sinner. Alton Smith, sinner. Jesus, the Holy One of Israel. And it is to Him and His Father that everyone must give an account. But He is a priest. He is not only a priest, He is a high priest who has passed through the heavens, appointed by God in the order of Melchizedek, whose name meant King. He is the King. He is the King of this church. He is the King of this assembly. Because He is the King of righteousness. He was from Salem and He is the King of peace. Unlike the Levitical priests, He did not become a priest by virtue of a legal requirement, but by the power of an indestructible 
life. He is eternal. Our eternal high priest. Holy. Innocent. Unstained. Separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens. Who now sits at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. And he is a minister in the Listen, church, Jesus is a minister in the holy places. And the true tent that the Lord has set up, not man. He has entered the more perfect tent once and for all by means of his own blood and not the blood of goats and calves, securing for you and I eternal redemption. And he is going to return a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. With clean hands and pure hearts. Because he's not coming back for a spotted, profane, unholy, unrighteous bride. What should we do? We draw near the full assurance of faith. It has been demonstrated by that great cloud of witnesses around us. Not shrinking back only to face the fearful expectation of judgment. You and I should run the race with endurance looking to Jesus as the author and the perfecter of our faith not taking lightly the discipline that is important for all of his legitimate children because he disciplines us so that we may what? Share. This is what the word of God says. Why are you going through it? Why is it difficult? Why do we need to be pruned? Because he is pruning you that you might share in the holiness of God. He wants you to be holy as he is holy. So come out, church. Come out. Come out of the world. Come out. Dead to the world. I'm dead to the world. Lift your drooping hands, strengthen your weak knees, and make straight the paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather healed and strive for peace with everyone in the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Thus says the Lord. Where I can take you to that final beatific vision in the book of Revelation, chapter 4, verses 2 through 11. Where the saints and the four creatures gathered around the throne, eyes within and without. They did what they will do. What in the Bible says in Revelation, what they will do for eternity without ceasing. You see, some of you think that this is just going to be a chapter in our progress in heaven. No, it's what you're going to do every day, 24 7, 365, for all of eternity. And what will we do? If you don't like this, sorry, you have no part. You will be with your father, the devil, in the lake of fire for all eternity. If there is no profanity in heaven, all there is is holy, holy, holy. See, by the way, I've got opinions on lots of things. When you start coming on conclude with this, you, you know, whether we get into stuff or you know, eat, you can drink, you can wear this, you can wear that, you can tap this, you can tap that, you can gauge this, you get all of those kinds of things. I got my opinions and usually I don't share. And I'll tell you what, in most cases, whatever opinion I may have with regard to Christian ethics, if I get a guy 
who comes and talks to me about some of these things and this question there, usually, without ever telling him my opinion, just by walking through some, uh, or shall we say, sacred thoughts. And I ask people things like this. These are good tests for whatever it is, your ethic that you're wanting to do. Does it glorify God? Does it demean or degrade your body in any way or the body of someone else? That's holy. We are not to maintain degrading passions. So answer that question for yourself. Does it degrade? Does it glorify God? Is it from a place of faith? Is anything that is not from faith is sin. Is what you're doing, have you done because you have prayed about it?